Hey guys, my name is Pastor Ron. So glad that you tuned in to the podcast of Allentown Fellowship Church. Each week we're going to endeavor just to walk through the Bible book by book and then give you some truths that you can apply to your life. So welcome to the AFC podcast. Trust and pray that God's word today will be a blessing to you. Mark 15, 21 to 47, a lot of verses, not going to camp out on all these verses. I want to highlight a couple of things, and um, this is dealing with the crucifixion of Jesus. Last time we dealt with the trial of Jesus, and again, as Pilate questioned him, are you the king of the Jews? What is it? that you have done wrong? Why is everyone accusing you? And what came out of that trial was Jesus, one, admitting that he is a king, but he's not a king from this world. Another thing that's important about that trial is Pilate sought to let him go because Pilate believed he was innocent. So you see the human characters in this narrative playing out. But of course, you and I are looking back on it so we know how it ends. Um, Because this is all part of God's plan. So, God, Romans says, before the foundation of the world, determined to send Christ to die for man's sin. And we're going to be going into Romans after we finish Mark. Um, But that, to try to put your mind around that, before the foundations of the world, God predetermined that he was going to send Christ. And so we see in history God's plan being played out. But yet there are human people that are being used. Like God doesn't work in a vacuum. God is working through the choices of people. So they convict Jesus. They sentence him to death. And so we're going to pick up in Mark where now he is going to be crucified. So let's pray. Father, open up our eyes. We ask that you would help us to get the meaning as you intended as we study the word in Christ's name. Amen. Starting at verse 21 then. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. Whether or not it was called that because there were probably a lot of bones in the area from other crucifixions. Some say that the actual hill looks like the stone formation looks like a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. Something that the Roman guards would do. Those who crucified him, they would take the prisoner's garments. Remember, clothes were at a premium back then. There were no Targets or Walmarts or men's warehouse. But what is not in this narrative, which is in one of the other gospel narratives, is that when it came to Jesus' tunic, they did not rip that. They did not say, well, let's, let's rip this in pieces and everybody gets a piece. No, because they saw it was one piece well put together, so they cast lots 
to see who would get the tunic, fulfilling a prophecy. As we move on, and it was the third hour when they crucified him. So this is about 9 a.m. The Jewish day started at 6 a.m. So this is about 9 a.m. in the morning when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So now we're going to see the mockery of Christ. And again, remember, it's the Passover. So there's hundreds of people coming into the city. This crucifixion would have taken place outside of the city. So as you're traveling into Jerusalem, you would see these criminals that are crucified serve two purposes. One, as punishment to them, but two, as a warning to you. Think about that. Rome doesn't play. <laughs> we better obey whatever laws are here because we could end up on one of these crosses. So as the crowd is walking by, coming into the city for Passover, there are people mocking him. Notice the accusation they say, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Jesus never said he would destroy the temple. He was saying, destroy this temple, referring to his body. So they're twisting his words there. Now we do know in Mark 13, Jesus did predict the temple would be destroyed <laughs> because of God's judgment that would later come on, on Jerusalem and the temple. And that happened in A.D. 70. But just kind of picture here these crosses that are there outside the city, people coming in, save yourself, come down from the cross. So also the chief priest with the scribes, they mocked him to one another, saying he saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, they're being sarcastic here now, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. That's not true at all. That's not true at all. Jesus Christ had demonstrated repeatedly that he was the Son of God. Throwing this accusation out, we'll come off the cross and then we'll believe. No, you won't. Remember, the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might destroy him. Now, again, they were using their own free choice, their own free will, their own evil in their heart. But yet this was also playing out God's sovereign plan for a savior to come. It's interesting that they say he saved others. He cannot save himself. The irony is. Yet this is what Christ is doing. He is saving others <laughs> by the blood that's about to be shed. And when it comes to him saving himself, what did Jesus say? The Son of Man, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. How? By laying down my life. So the irony here in what they're saying and mocking him, yet Jesus Christ is doing exactly what the Father sent him to do. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him 
And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Now we know again from the other gospel accounts that one of the robbers or the thieves did confess that Jesus Christ truly was and is the Messiah. Because you remember, he began to tell the other robber, we deserve this punishment, but this man is innocent. And then what does he say? He looks at Jesus and says, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. What did Jesus say to him? Jesus did not say, oh, you didn't pray the Lord's, oh, you didn't pray the sinner's prayer. Nope, nope, you got to say it the right way. You have to say the words. Now, dear Father, I, I, I am a sinner. No, he didn't say that. He said, this day you will be with me in paradise. Now, why do I say that? Because we have to be very careful that we don't relegate salvation based on saying a prayer a certain way. A prayer does not save anybody. Having faith, true faith in what Jesus did is what saves us. Now, why do I say that? Well, one, because that's biblical. And two, a lot of people are walking around because they said a prayer thinking that they know Christ and their life looks nothing like it. Looks nothing like it. But they were kind of sold this all you have to do is say this prayer and you're saved. Now, again, do we have to ask the Father to save us? Yeah. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. But it's not just saying a prayer like that's a magical thing that does it. It's like, do you really believe? Do you believe that, yes, I am a sinner and Christ is the Savior? Father, save me on the merits of Jesus Christ. How you articulate that is not the issue. What you believe is the issue. Got to make that distinction. The robber didn't say some formal prayer. He said what? Remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Jesus knew. He got it. Somewhere wrapped up in what that robber said in his heart, he knew he deserved death. Because he was a sinner and this man was not a sinner. This one is truly the son of man who's come to take away sins. Somewhere in that transaction, that robber knew that and believed that. But how did he express it? Remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And how do we know? Because Jesus responds, today you will be with me in paradise. If he wasn't a Christian at that moment, he would have never been in paradise with Jesus. My point is, guys, we can't hang on just stuff that we say. Is it true faith coming from the heart? Do we truly believe? When the sixth hour had come, now it's 12 noon. There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So from 12 to 3 o'clock. Remember, the Jewish day starts at 6 a.m. Darkness over the entire land. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cries with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabakani. I probably butchered that. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, that's the first place I want to camp out a little bit. I do not know, I do not believe that we can fully comprehend all that happened here. 
with our finite minds. We know that Jesus Christ is 100% human. He's, he's 100% man, but he's also 100% God. Okay? We know that on the cross, he suffered a real death, a physical death. That was real blood. When he pierced his heart and blood and water came out, he died. They knew he was dead. That was real. What makes the crucifixion different than any other crucifixion? Because this was the God-man dying. This wasn't just a man. What makes the crucifixion of Christ different than all the other hundreds of crucifixions that Rome did? This was the God-man who was dying for a purpose. To restore your relationship with the Holy God. This crucifixion had divine spiritual consequences. Okay? And if Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God who was being sacrificed for the atonement of sin, then Jesus Christ had to feel in some real tangible way all that it meant to be, even though he wasn't, a sinner. Follow me on this. He had to feel all of it. Not just the crucifixion. The crucifixion. Many criminals died in that day this way. We know he was innocent, but there was something more happening here because he was the sinless man of God who not only felt the physical death, but remember, what does our sin do? My sin and your sin separates you from a holy God. That's why we can't be in his presence until our sin problem is taken care of. Well, if our sin separates us from a holy God and God then pours out his wrath on Jesus for sin, oh my goodness. No wonder he cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I can't fully explain all that to you. And I've read many commentators, and they all fall short of explaining. What is it that Jesus felt? There was a separating from the Son of God, from the Father God. What does that look like? Well, we know from his cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't know that we can ever understand the depths of the torture, the agony, the anguish that Jesus experienced on the cross. And I'm talking about apart from the physical, the spiritual. That's why this crucifixion is different than any crucifixion that ever happened or ever would happen. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's feeling in this moment the totality of the wrath of God on sin. 
Remember, he who knew no sin became sin for us. I just, that just blows my mind. From the beginning of time, time as we know it, because there is no time with God. He's eternal. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit coexisted in perfect harmony, perfect relationship for all eternity. Now in a moment of history, there's something broken. Wow. What agony. The only thing I can think of, and it falls pale. I know it does. Think about relationships that you have with loved ones. And then they pass away. The ripping of that. The agony. Because that loved one, that relationship is severed. I, I, I don't have them in my life anymore. There's a separation, right? And it's almost like the, the longer you knew that loved one, the harder it is. Why? Because you have so many memories. <laughs> and, 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 and the agony of that, now they're gone. Well, we, we know what that feels like. And the hole and the emptiness, Right? But we've only known them for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, maybe five years, whatever. Think about what that must feel like if you knew somebody for all eternity. <laughs> what does that feel like? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Forsaken by God as he was the Lamb of God paying the atonement for man's sins. Now, we know by the other gospel accounts that in that transaction where God was pouring the wrath out on Christ, we know from the other gospel accounts what? He says, it is finished. The payment is paid. But we also know that this forsaking that Christ felt was not, what, forever. Because he also says on the cross, into thy hands I commit my spirit. So somewhere in there, that transaction took place where it was finished. The atonement was done. Christ felt the full wrath of God, felt his separation, and then restored back to the Father. Wow. Beautiful. And of course, as Ben will deal with next week, the resurrection, where Christ comes out of that grave and says, because I live, you too shall live. But let's not skip over so quickly the anguish that he went through for us. God's judgment poured out on Christ, not just a physical suffering involved here. God's presence is affected in some way based on what Jesus cries out. Remember, sin separates us from God spiritually. Now think about what kind of love is this that the Father, that the Father would send his Son knowing that the separation would occur at that moment of God's wrath being poured out on him. Why did he do that? Well, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world <laughs> that he gave his only begotten Son. Whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus said, I've come to lay down my life. Why did Jesus ultimately go to the cross 
Now I don't want to split hairs here. <laughs> Say that three times. I don't want to split hairs here. Hairs, hairs, here. you know what I'm saying. Why did Jesus ultimately go to the cross? I think the knee-jerk reaction is because he loves you. I'm going to say, no, that's not why he ultimately went to the cross. He ultimately went to the cross because he loved the Father. To fulfill the Father's will. It makes a difference how you view that. I've come to do my Father's will. And my Father's will is that I, at a point in history, become separated from Him for the atonement of man's sin. Wow. This is a transaction between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It ain't got nothing to do with you. Well, it does. We have the effects of it. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying? This is what the Father determined before the foundation of the world to sin a redeemer. This is a transaction that they came up with in eternity. I just can't put my head around that. And you and I are the benefactors. Wow. That's why Paul writes, what shall separate me from the love of God? <laughs> oh, the depths of the love of God. And how many times in the ministry of Christ have we seen him saying, I've come to do my father's will. I do the work of my father. You do the work of your father, who is the devil. <laughs> Talking to the Pharisees. It was about pleasing the father. Go back and look at the garden prayer. Father, if it's possible, please let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I want, father. Your will. Jesus ultimately went to the cross out of obedience to the Father to accomplish what the Father wanted to accomplish through his death and resurrection. That's love, folks. Can we begin to try and comprehend what Jesus suffered in relation to the Father? Father? Barely. Barely. I don't think with these finite minds we can ever fully understand that transaction that happened. Look at 1 Peter 2. It's interesting how Peter, in talking to these believers who are suffering, refers to the suffering of Christ as motivation and encouragement for them to suffer well for the name of Christ. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly, the Father. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That we might be changed that we might have the righteousness of Christ given to us so that now we can be restored to this relationship with the Holy God. And Peter says, by his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter looks at the suffering of Jesus Christ and says, let that be an example of how to suffer for Christ's namesake. 
And again, the believers in Peter were suffering for their faith. He said, suffer well, because look at what your shepherd went through. Oh, and by the way, he went through that for your soul. For you, Let that be an encouragement for you to suffer whatever you're going through now. And again, they're suffering for the namesake of Christ. There was a deep ripping, a separation between the Father and the Son as Jesus became sin for us. But note that then Jesus, before he died, said in John's account, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. So that perfect relationship restored Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mark 10, 45, you remember the words of Christ, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. How? And to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus always knew his purpose from day one. Remember, it's the disciples that missed it. They wanted him to set up a political kingdom. Let's go back to the text. And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah when he cries out. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Remember, they missed the fact that Elijah had already come. Jesus told them, John the Baptist was Elijah, and you missed it. This is not about Jesus being rescued. They don't understand. God's atonement plan is being played out now. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two <clears throat> from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him <clears throat> excuse me, saw that in this way, he breathed his last. He said, truly, this man was the son of God. How ironic. Disciples all scattered and left him. Doing his earthly ministry in Mark, remember the demons knew who he was, and he told them, be quiet. The disciples missed it. But here you have at his death a Roman soldier saying, this was the son of God. How ironic. The demons recognized who he was. Disciples missed it. The Roman soldier gets it. Let's talk about one last thing here, the curtain that was torn. Jesus provided entrance into the presence of God relationally. You see, when he died and the darkness came over the land, and in the temple that, cur that curtain, that veil, was ripped in half. That was the veil where only the priest could go behind there to offer the sacrifices. Only the priest. And here at his death, the veil is torn. Symbolizing what? The last sacrifice has been given. <laughs> I love that. Don't need the veil anymore. You don't need a priest going on your behalf and sacrificing for you. You don't need the daily sacrifices that the Jewish people had to do and then come up to the high priest once a year so he could go into the Holy of Holies. All of that, you don't need it anymore. The whole veil is torn. Why? Jesus, his death, he became the entrance into the presence of God. Wow. Beautiful picture of what's happening on the cross. Sacrifices are no longer needed. He became the one and final sacrifice. Look how the writer of Hebrews says it. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, watch this, to enter the holy places. You're not allowed in there, only the priests. No, no, no. You can enter in there now. Why? 
by the blood or through the blood of Jesus. Wow. What? This would have blown the mind of a Jewish person. Like, no, we can't do it. No. Yes, you can. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. There it is, temple language. That is through his flesh. (laughs) And since we have a great priest over the house of God, referring to Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You hear what the writer of Hebrews is saying? The sacrifices are no longer needed. Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, was not only our high priest, but he was also the sacrifice. The priest had to bring in a lamb. Jesus walked in and became the sacrifice. So now the wall of separation between a holy God and my sinful self, the wall is now torn. I can stand in the presence of God, not because of me, because of his righteousness. So we have the righteousness of Christ in us. This is why people don't understand. People are trying to, trying to work their way to God. You can't do it. There's nothing you can do because you're already depraved. You're already a sinner by birth. You can't do enough good because your very nature needs to be changed. Christ changes the very essence of who you are. He changes your nature, puts his spirit in you. Now you can be accepted by a holy God. That's salvation. That's why I keep saying, guys, it's not about religion. And some people just feel they're going to be able to stand before God and, and give a whole list of all their giving, all the missions trips they went on, all the things that they did, and think that God's going to say, oh, well done. You did all those things, and those things might have been humanitarian things. They might have been social things that help society, but you did it, and you're still a sinner. <laughs> Your sin problem was never taken care of. Good works do not eradicate sin. Jesus eradicated the power of sin over us. As we finish up, there were also women looking on from a distance. Notice who's looking on from a distance? Women. Where are the disciples? Cowards. Among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James, the younger, and Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And they were also there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, again, they're celebrating the Passover, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, the other gospel accounts let us know that Joseph did not want him crucified. Joseph did not agree with the Sanhedrin council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage or got bold and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud 
and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock, a tomb that had been unused, a brand new tomb. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. It's interesting how in this account that the women, the women are in the narrative. <laughs> Back in the ancient Near East, the women didn't have any type of prominence, but yet here and under the inspiration, as Mark writes, he puts in the women. The women who ministered to Christ are there taking all of this in. Where are the disciples? We end here. My challenge to you guys, when we think about the crucifixion, a lot of times we tend to focus on the physical aspect of the crucifixion, the blood, the nails. Some of you may, may have seen the passion. I, I saw Glenn, I could never finish watching the whole thing because it's just like it was too gory for me. And that's what we kind of focus on. And yes, crucifixion was brutal but it was far more torturous for Christ because he was the innocent God-man. And what happened spiritually on that cross was more devastating than what happened physically on that cross. Both were required. The physical death and what happened spiritually. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? in order for Christ to take on the total penalty of my sin, your sin. So now I don't, you don't fear separation from a holy God because you now have the righteousness of Christ if you are trusting in Him for salvation. That's what makes a crucifixion different than any other crucifixion that happened. Amen? Father, I pray for the reminders to stay in our hearts and minds as we think about all that Christ went through. To be the Lamb of God, to be the atonement, the payment for our sin. God, I know that we can never know with human understanding the depths of what this cost. But God, remind us of the crucifixion time and time again. And God, may it cause us to love you more. Father, to desire to serve you and to proclaim this good news to those who do not know you. Thank you, Father, for your word. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to the AFC Podcast. I hope and pray today's word has challenged you to align your thinking with God's word. If you would like to come visit us for one of our services, we would love to have you. We are located at 457 West Allen Street in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We are in what is called the Daybreak Room, which is housed in the Doves Community Center. 457 West Allen Street, Allentown, PA. Our services start at 1 p.m. So if you're looking for a church that sticks to the word of God, come on out and join us. We'd love to see you. Till next time, God bless.